Warning. Warning. Vulgar language may be heard on this podcast. Foolish humans. Bleep blorp. Go down and you found yourself surrounded Astounded by the veteran crew that you discounted But we're back for our piece of this game And we remain on a mission to increase the recognition of the name That you saw on the marquee when you walked in the building to the show Thought you bought your potholes, but we feel them It's just one of our tricks, we're in the mix like trail The mic in my hand becomes a Molotov cocktail Igniting your vicinity from now till infinity Burning it down, we build it back from the ground up Jay Vigilantes are back on a round up We're trying to reach the folks yeah what's up everyone welcome to the best podcast about living in the middle of bumfuck nowhere and playing magic that is in existence currently so ever ever, yeah that's true and that probably won't last for long but we're here for now so uh you know suck on that uh, so with me this evening, once again, is the core team of Magic in the Middle of Nowhere. Uh, we got Chris with us. What's up, Chris? What it is. All right. And Robert, what up, Robert? Hey, how's it going? Pretty damn good. I'm, uh, I'm drinking on a, a new concoction I made for myself here. It is Sky Vodka mixed with some, uh, aloe vera drink. And for those who haven't had it, it's uh, a, a delicious drink. It tastes kind of like Concord grapes with little bits, chunks of aloe in it. It's the bomb, and it's from uh, Asian markets. So if you have an Asian market near you, you could probably get a bottle of this stuff. It's pretty interesting. I think somebody told me before you're not supposed to drink it too often because there's actually something in it that's not that good for you. But it tastes good, and it's a good mixer uh, for <laughs> for vodka. So uh, try it out if you're you're of drinking age, please. And it makes uh, your voice silky smooth. Oh yeah, but uh, uh, anyone else? What, what are you guys drinking on this evening? I'm drinking on uh, Budweiser and Yingling. Wow, d- two fist in it, impressive. Yeah, yeah just, <laughs> that's how your mom likes it. Uh, and Robert, what oh, are you drinking? Anything tonight, or just take that? Nah, uh, I gotta work tomorrow. Uh, a little, maybe a little warm milk before bed, or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> delicious. All right, well, uh, let's get right into it. We are in smack dab in the middle of spoiler season here, and uh, we got some uh, d- delicious spoilers for y'all. You probably read them. You probably heard about them on other podcasts, but we are going to uh, bring it to you with our spin on things. And actually, we just we're, it's just after midnight right now, and they just spoiled a new card. So we might be the first podcast to actually talk about this, which is pretty cool. Um, and it's the new sword, and everyone was wondering what would the first one to be spoiled was. Would it be the, the red-white one or the black-and-green one? And it ended up being uh, the black-green one, Sword of Feast and Famine. So I'll read that off. It's a mythic. It costs three artifact equipment, of course. Equip creature gets uh, equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from black and from green. Whenever equip- equipped creature deals damage, uh, deals combat damage to a player, that player discards a card, and you untap all lands you control. Equip cost of two. So that has a, you know, the bare umbra ability of untapping all your lands whenever it deals damage, and uh, also makes them discard a card. I mean, um, I myself, initial impressions, this isn't the most powerful of the swords that I've seen, but uh, it definitely seems really solid. And in this new set, when you have the two factions um, going up against each other, I think it's going to be pretty powerful, especially in limited. What do you think, Robert? 
I think I called this one. You go back a few shows ago and you'll hear me talking about a uh, black green sword. That's true. Coming out. You got me on that. I thought it would be red white, but uh, who knows? Red white one could still be coming out this set. We'll see. There's still plenty of cards it's to possible. Count. People have been talking about both of the swords being printed in this set because I believe uh, Mark Rosewater said something about you know they both created two weapons or something like that when he was referring to this set. So there is still a possibility of that. Yeah, and how do you think it ranks as far as uh, compared to the other swords that have come out? It's okay. It has its uses. I don't think it's as powerful as some of the others, but you know, it's still good. Better than Sword of Body and Mind? I don't know. They're they're about even. Yeah, I say uh, time will tell on that one. Um, If it were like discard a card at random, that would have been the bomb. They should have probably upped the power a little bit more with that ability, but them getting to choose which card they discard... Not as good. Um, Chris, you have any initial impressions about the Sword of Feast and Famine? Sounds pretty awesome. I would have liked to have had it back in the day, probably. <laughs> uh, true. Back in the day, before all the power creep, this definitely would have been really solid. But, uh, alright, we'll, we'll get into the, the rest of the spoilers now. There are too many out there we thought to, you know, spend the whole show talking about them. So, we each just picked like six cards that we wanted to talk about, and, uh, we're gonna give our take on them here. Um, we'll start with Robert. Um, you wanted to talk about what, there was a certain blue creature you wanted to talk about. What was that? Oh, we have the, uh, Consecrated Sphinx here. It's four and two blue. It's a Sphinx. Is a mythic rager. It is a 4-6 flyer. Whenever an opponent draws a card, you may draw two cards. And this is not a legendary creature, and I think it should be. It's clearly batshit insane, and the fact that you can get multiples of this on the field is really crazy. And like you said, it's not uh, legendary, so each each player could have this on the field, and then whenever you know the first player draws their card for their turn, the other person can draw two cards, where and then the other player can draw four cards, and then the other player can draw eight cards. So it just start, gets going uh, really cl- crazily that you could basically deck yourself, but since it's a May ability, you don't have to draw any cards. Um, it just seems like it, that situation, I think, is going to come up at some point, because I can definitely see this card getting played a good deal. Um, it might even replace Frost Titan, because it has a really strong ability so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see uh, at what point people stop drawing cards. I guess whenever they draw whatever spell they can draw to, to kill the opponent's Consecrated Sphinx off. You, you have any additional thoughts on that, uh, Robert? I think this card's going to make a uh, homing control decks, um, especially versus other control decks, because you, you play a Jace... Well, they play a Sphinx. You can't brainstorm anymore because you brainstorm. They're drawing so many cards, and they don't have to put cards back. So, I mean, they're just crazy card advantage here. Yeah, and you it's can... A crazy sh- engine. If it had Shroud, it would be one of the best creatures of all time. It does not have Shroud, so you can kill it, though. Yeah. But, uh, I, I can just imagine circumstances where each player has a Sphinx out. One player goes to draw for their turn, and then they just both draw their decks. Like... <laughs> you just really uh, just play Whisper Silk Cloak. You can protect it that way, or yeah, hell, even play Asceticism. You'll have that much mana at the time you can play this this creature. I mean, I, I imagine like the the blue green Genesis Wave deck that's been floating around. I imagine they'll throw one of these suckers in there and be like, oh look, <laughs> I got infinite gas. Yeah, well that's true. But I have uh, 
I've heard other podcasts talking about the interaction and how it counters Jace. And you're right, like they can't brainstorm because you would get to draw six cards, and you know, to the one net card that they get out of that ability, and then they can fate seal you. But you know what? Even if you're not drawing a great card during your next turn, during their next turn, you're going to draw two cards anyway. So there's really nothing that they can do about it except use Jace's minus two ability every turn, and to keep your Sphinx off the battlefield. So, uh, yeah, it's a good anti-Jace card. Unfortunately, the anti-Jace card is also in blue. So, we're, you know, they're really kind of forcing us to play blue, aren't they? Well, it's not really an anti-Jace card because they can be like, you know, draw for the turn or play Jace, bounce Sphinx or something. I mean, you're still getting card advantage out of it, but it's it's not like you win the game and you play it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it is still good. Like, if you can protect it, I mean, blue probably can but uh yeah for sure it's okay i, I like it yeah I, mean, I, I th- don't like it because it's not legendary i think it should be legendary <laughs> yeah I, I imagine they would have thought of that in design but they must have thought it was uh appropriate so go r&d um all right well uh chris maybe you would like to uh take the next one and you said you wanted to talk about uh blightsteel colossus ah yeah that guy is pretty crazy. Let's see. Well, it's an artifact creature. Costs 12. It's an 11-11 with trample and infect. And it's indestructible. And if it were put into the graveyard from anywhere, you reveal it and shuffle it into its owner's library. So, uh, that's pretty fucked up. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've heard people on the internet, uh, you know, watching people on Twitter, they say, uh, this creature is effectively a 22-11, because, you know, 10 poison counters and you're dead, so it's a one-hit kill, and I know it's going to, it might even replace Emrakul as creature of choice in, um, ramp decks, uh, you know, Eldrazi decks, and not only that, it is an artifact, so you can use Shape Anew to kind of polymorph it into play. There's going to be a whole bunch of more, uh, a whole bunch more interactions with trying to get this card into play just because it's an artifact. It is totally sick, and, uh, but yes, they did put the, the clause in it that it can't sit in your graveyard, so you're never going to be able to recur it from your graveyard, which is, uh, what they do with these Colossi. Uh, in order to, you know, prevent them from being too broken. But this card's gonna, I think, jump up in price pretty quickly. It's too bad it's not a a pre-release promo or anything like that. It's a mythic, so you know the price is gonna be up there. It is a sweet card. The trample is what makes it good. I mean, well, the infect too, of course. But, uh, the fact that it's an artifact, like, I think this may, some vintage players may pick this up as their kill choice. Because, I mean, one hit, you win. So, it's pretty good. Yes, indeed. Oh, announcement, announcement. There's yet another card being spoiled on Twitter here. Uh, let's go to that card. It is a rare. Two red and two mana. So, converted mana costs a four. It's a four two. It is a human knight. Another knight, but it's red. Uh, it's so, a four two with haste and battle cry. So, you got your haste with battle cry now. That's great. And whenever, uh, it's called Hero of Oxid Ridge. Hero of Oxid Ridge. And whenever Hero of Oxid Ridge attacks, creatures with power one or less can't block this turn. So no chumps on this guy. You gotta have a, uh, bigger creature. Your, your Lana War Elves are 
or, uh, you know, whatever, are not going to be able to stop this guy and your entire army that's probably crashing through for a lot of damage. Uh, it seems really solid to me. What do you guys think? Seems pretty good. It looks like there's some more cards flowing through here. Uh, you see another one? What's up? What do you got? We got, uh, let's see here. Gruesome Encore. Two mana, one black sorcery. Put target creature card from an opponent's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. It gains haste, and you exile at the beginning of the next end step. If that uh, creature would leave the battlefield, exile it instead of putting it anywhere else. Wow, that is really inexpensive for the effect. What do you think, Robert? I mean, how is this going to work? What's it going to be be used against? Blue, black control mirror. Oh, that's a nice titan in your graveyard. Here it comes. Yeah, assuming you can get the Titan into their graveyard. Yeah, and the control matchup, they, they, they die a good bit. So, I mean, you, you, you plop down the Titan, then you attack with it, and you're like, look, I got these zombie tokens still, too. This seems like an auto-include into any kind of mill strategy, because you're going to be forcing their their cards from their deck into their uh, graveyard, and then you can just pop this thing off and be attacking them with their own creatures. Looks like we get another one here, too. All right, what else we got? We got Creeping Corrosion. It's a two man and two green sorcery. Destroy all artifacts. So it's a, it's a green shatter storm. Yep. That's what uh, that is what people have been talking about today. They were speculating that there's going to be a green uh, shatter storm, and there it is. So that's really cool. I, I think it'll be a a good equalizer in the format. As uh, it seems like the the power of decks with this set. It just seems to me there are going to be new decks formed. There's the, Some of the decks in the format are going to get a big boost, and uh, it's going to be a pretty powerful format, just judging from these spoilers. I'm, I'm already brewing, and I'm already seeing tons of stuff I want to play. I already have a, a, a deck designed. Um, I believe there's a Grand Prix. Uh, it's a standard uh, later this year. I think, I, I think I'm going to start brewing for it already. Uh, some of these cards, I think I, I know I want to fly. Very cool. Well, we won't make you give away your secrets now. I know you want to surprise people yeah, with it yeah. later on, but uh, that's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, um, let me go ahead with the first card that I wanted to talk about. Um, let me see here. It was the Tezzeret Planeswalker, uh, named Tezzeret. Uh, let me see here. Tezzeret Agent of Bolas. Um, so let me see. Cost uh, one blue, one black, and two mana. So four altogether. He's a mythic, of course. Planeswalker, Tezzeret. He has a starting loyalty of three. Uh, plus one, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an artifact card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So he's got kind of an impulse for artifacts built into him as a plus one ability. Uh, minus one, target artifact becomes a five-five artifact creature. So, you know... That ever-flowing chalice you paid, played on turn two, all of a sudden uh, on turn three you drop this guy down. He can become a 5-5 five, five artifact each turn for the next three turns if you wanted after that. So that's pretty interesting. Um, and then you got his his ultimate ability is only a minus four, so you can use it you know two turns after he comes into play. Or no, I guess the turn after he comes into play, even better. Uh, target player loses X life, and you gain X life, where X is twice the number of artifacts you control. So it seems like if you build an artifact deck around this guy, you're going to be able to tutor up what you need. 
you can swing in with your 5-5 five, five artifact creatures, or if you get a ton of, of uh, creatures on the board, or you draw this guy late game, um, you're, you're going to have a, a good, solid uh, finisher in his uh, kind of double drain life ability. Very excellent. You guys got any uh, speculation on this card? He seems pretty good. I like him. Oh, yes. Chris, you, you're a blue-black guy. You like what this guy does, or is he too uh, artifact-dependent? Well, I haven't really gotten into the artifacts. It's still pretty awesome, though. I mean, he's pretty badass. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. Oh, they do, they seem to really do a good job with the Planeswalkers, but this one seems like a pretty balanced one. It's not hosing, o- uh, hosing over your opponent too badly. It's just kind of you build a deck around this guy and try to get it to work. So seems like a solid uh, solid Planeswalker. Um, all right, and we'll move on to the next. Um, Robert, you're going to cover five, all five of, or, well, I guess four Zeniths. The four that have been spoiled. I guess, uh, do you want to start with the one you think is the weakest, and we'll move up from there and see which one you think is the best? Well, they uh, actually spoiled the uh, white zenith. Oh, holy hell. Well, Robert, why don't you, why don't you go ahead and take well, that one, then? See, the source I was looking at took that back off, so it may not be confirmed yet. Well, I'll try, try it out anyway. <laughs> and uh, let's see. We'll start... Weakest is probably what I would ask. I'm not a big fan of the white one. If that is what the white one is, it's a basically three-way mana in X, and you put X two two cat soldiers into play or something like that. But again, at this point in time, it's not confirmed that that's what it is. But maybe it will be. Sounds like a swanger yeah. card to me. Wow. <laughs> uh. We won't go into that. Never mind. Inside joke. We should leave those out of the show. <laughs> um, we should throw it in eventually. <laughs> yeah, sure. We'll, we'll talk about it later on. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, you're putting a bunch of 2-2 cats into play. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe the, that is the one you should start with because it doesn't seem too dan- too terribly powerful. Yeah, I don't know what to speculate on that because you know, uh, white is not really a prevalent color in the mana ramp, and that's kind of what what you would need to make this card playable at three plus X. Uh, you think that's a correct assessment, Robert? Yeah, I don't like it. I don't know if it's true or not, but if it is, I'm not playing that card. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, uh, so there's Zenith number one. We'll uh, slow roll this thing, and we'll go with uh, Chris to. Phyrexian Rebirth. What do, yeah. what, what do you got on that, Chris? Phyrexian Rebirth. This is a um, white card, actually. Four and two white. A sorcery. Destroy all creatures, then put one XX colorless horror artifact creature token onto the battlefield, where X is the number of creatures destroyed this way. So it's like a Wrath of God. You pay two more, and you get some... Hopefully, big fat guy that's gonna smash people in the face. Seems pretty, pretty sweet to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, there was that. What was that? Uh, that one that just came out. It was uh, back in the shards block where it leaves a bunch of one-one dudes in play and destroys all creatures other than that. It's all one. 
yeah, Marshall Koo, yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me of that card, um, just because it can it can destroy creatures and then leave stuff on the battlefield for you to attack with. And that's something that I've always wanted to to do as like a combo with like mitotic slime, worm coil engine, even rock egg, anything that leaves a creature in play after after you wrath, after you day of judgment. Um, you know, it gives you a huge advantage. But this thing has that built in, no combo needed. So this is kind of a, a, a really sweet card in that respect. But Robert, do you think it's going to see any standard play? Can it replace Day of Judgment at the cost? No, it, it is, it is too slow. It, it, it's way too slow for that. But it is a crazy bomb and limited. Now you see that first pack. I would probably windmill slam it and be like, oh, going white. Oh, definitely. It's super sick in in that format in limited. But uh, I I actually because when Marshall Koo was in, you still had Day of Judgment, and you would see both run in in a in like a blue white deck. So I think you you will see like maybe three Day of Judgment, two Frexian Rebirth, you know, something some sort of combination like that in a in a blue white uh blue yeah blue white deck. I think two is too many. Like a three one or four one split would be fine. Sure, sure. I, I, when I played that control deck back then, I played the 3-1 split with the coup, but I, I just, it's so slow and such a fast format. Yeah, well, I was just trying to get a point across. Let's not uh, argue over semantics here. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, definitely seems like a sweet card. Um, well, I'll go with the next card I would like to talk about, which is Ink Moth Nexus. I just wanted to mention this for people who might have started playing after uh, Mirrodin and maybe haven't been playing for so long, but uh, this is basically the same card as a card called Blink Moth Nexus, which was in during the first Mirrodin block. It's, you know, it's the exact same thing, only Ink Moth Nexus has uh, Infect. And uh, I think that this card is definitely going to see play. I think it's going to be a, 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 a high-priced card. So if you see it, don't trade it for peanuts on, you know, if you bust it in your sealed pool or your draft or whatever. Because uh, it is going to be a quite a good card if Blink Moth Nexus was any indicator, and I know that you know a, a, a Ravager Affinity and things like that are not around right now, but trust me, this card's going to see heavy play just because uh, you know you can. It becomes an artifact creature. Um, you know, any kind of man land is good, especially one that's so cheap. And it's perfect for shape a new decks because it can be an artifact without having to actually be one in your deck that a shape is going to hit it'll hit your you know your um black black steel colossus or whatever the hell that thing is the blade steel blade steel colossus i'll I'll just you know animate this guy and uh oh look he's now gigantic and crazy yeah i'll tap him for the one one of the four mana needed for shape anew and guess what he turns into a friggin blade steel colossus so eat it so yeah i think that that card and that instant that puts two um artifact creature tokens in the player single-handedly gonna single-handedly gonna make uh shape anew you know new polymorph decks um, happen so uh, it's it's a solid card. Keep an eye on that one. All right, and let's go with the, what's up. Uh, we got a new card. It just came out. Okay, what do we got? We have a Coth's Courier. It's oh, a, what's that do? I've wanted. I've seen the name for a while, but I really want to know what it does. It's a one and two red for a two three forest walk. One and two red for a two three forest walk. And that's all it does? <laughs> yep. Oh, the man. Art's, 
I was excited because it had Koth in the name, so I was like, oh, that's going to be cool. But uh, so that is pretty much seems like a limited card, strictly. What do you What do you think? You're gonna probably get in this late and red. Yeah. Well, so there you have it, cost carrier folks. You heard it here first. You probably read it somewhere else, but you heard it here first. Um. So yeah, cool. Uh. Well, let's go with Robert, the next most powerful zenith, zenith number four. Alrighty, we have the blue zenith here. We have blue sun zenith. It is three blue and X. It's an instant. It's a rare, of course. They're all rare. And target player draws X cards, and then you shuffle it back into your library. That's a normal oh thing with the zeniths as well. They they all are shuffled back into your library. They're just like the beacons in the previous cycles. Right, right. But uh, so this card is basically like a mind spring that's at instant speed, yeah. so it costs one more blue. Is this going to see play over Jace's ingenuity? Mm, I don't think so. Um, I think it's still a fine card. Like if you're playing your consecrated Sphinx deck. But yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, if you, if you target them and have them draw cards, you're drawing double what you paid for it. So. Well, here here's where it's gonna be interesting because if you, if at some point and you know this comes around every once in a while something slips through the cracks where you can make some sort of infinite mana combo. This is a card you can use to to deck your opponent. It's a kill it's a kill condition in that if you get some sort of combo going. So just like Stroke of Genius used to be, it's basically the same cost as that card. It's a it's a kill condition with the, in a combo deck. So we'll see if that rolls around. I'm not aware of anything you know that's plausible that does that right now, but it well, could happen. There, there is actually an infinite mana combo uh, with Mirror, the Mirror combo with the Galvanizer, I believe. Right, but is it is it like really plausible as a standard deck, or is it one of those combos that's very temperamental? <laughs> it. It would need some love. People would need to, to really work on it. it. It's probably pretty fragile, but when it does work, it probably works pretty well. Because, it, I mean, the mirror are pretty cheap costed and they pay for themselves. So, I mean, it is possible to do something like that. Yes, indeed. All right, cool. Well, uh, we'll move on to the next one. Um, and, Chris, do you want to talk about, you wanted to talk about Victory's Herald? Victory's Herald, yes. This is a nice guy here. Um, three and three white. Uh, flying angel. Four, four. But whenever it attacks, attacking creatures gain flying and lifelink until end of turn. So that's, that's crazy as well. <laughs> um, well, let me see here. Yeah, I, I assume mean, that includes itself because it's attacking as well, so it automatically has lifelink whenever it attacks. Uh, true, and it also has flying twice, which is dumb. No, it doesn't actually get flying twice with new rules, but uh, yeah. So he, yeah, that's a. It's basically a huge bomb in limited. Um, just given all your creatures flying in life, like that can end games on all on its own. And it has a you know a pretty stout body. Four four is irrelevant. It, it is relevant. It, it doesn't die to a lightning bolt or anything like that. Um, but still, usually with these kind of heavily costed creatures, and they're very heavily, um, it's it's heavy into one color with three white in the casting cost. 
you're not going to see it in too many um, standard decks, no, no competitive ones really. Um, there's just a lot of other more efficient, uh, bigger, better creatures at that at that six drop slot. Um, do you think that's an accurate uh, portrayal of this card, Robert? Seems pretty good. Okay, cool. Well, moving on here, my next card I'm going to want to talk about is Goblin War Driver. And I'm a red guy, so you know um, that I do enjoy uh, a good, aggressive red beater. This guy is two red mana, so he's strictly for red decks. Pretty much uh, going to be played in mono red, but you know you could possibly splash him into something else. Um, he's a goblin warrior. He's uncommon. Uh, he's a 2-2. And he has Battle Cry. So basically, he's a, he's a bear with Battle Cry for two. It's kind of similar to the, um, a quarter paladin. But, uh, he is a goblin, and there are, you know, you got your goblin lords and a goblin lord in the set. You got others, you know, solid goblins, and this guy's gonna bump them all up. It's pretty aggressive. I like it a lot, and I think it can find a home in a, in a goblin's deck. Any, anybody else have any thoughts on this? It's okay. I don't really play goblins that much, so my opinion is probably pretty bad. <laughs> well, right. I think it's a 2-2 two, two for 2, which is good to me. And good enough. Cry. And Battle Cry is definitely an aggressive thing to have, which is going to help in a goblin deck, because it's obviously got to be aggressive, so I like it myself. It needs haste. Uh, well, that's what I was just about to say. Yeah, haste would be badass. If you have Goblin Chieftain in play... Uh, you know, the turn before this guy, you know, comes in swinging and your opponent's not going to be expecting it. Um, it's going to be a pretty sweet play, um, because all your goblins will have haste at that point. Um, you know, or if, um, you happen to have four mana and you happen to have him and goblin bushwhacker in your hand, he's also going to come into play with haste and all your creatures are going to get plus two plus zero, which is going to be super sick. So. I mean, there's ways to give this guy haste, definitely, in the, in the format. And, uh, I don't know, uh, it, there's going to be some good interactions there. I'm excited to try him out. All right, so that's the coverage of Goblin War Driver. And, uh, Robert, clue us in. What is Zenith number three? All right, for number three here, we have Black Sun Zenith. It is X and two black. It's a sorcery. You put X, negative one, negative one counters on each creature. And uh, then you shuffle it into the owner's library. Alright. So uh, basically, it, it's a controlled wrath, uh, effect, or controlled damnation effect, whatever you want to call it. Um, it I would, I like to liken creatures. it to, to mutilate. You remember that yeah. card? Yeah, of yeah. course, yes. Uh, it, it, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. But we still get, uh, two more that rank just above it. I don't know, uh, actually in, in my rankings as far as the Zenus, I would put this one in the two slot, and maybe I'm just speculating, but I think before all is said and done, this card is single-handedly gonna make Mono Black Control a real deck in, in standard. It might not be tier one, it might be tier two, but I think once you get some sort of black ability, which it seems like they, you know, they're, they're slowly realizing that black is the weaker, weakest color. They're going to start giving it an ability. And once you give it like a Cabal Coffers or something like that that can generate a lot of black mana, um, you know, kind of a, maybe a Crypt of Agadine effect, you're going to see that this card is going to be incredibly powerful and you're going to hate playing against it a lot. But 
that's just, you know, that's just speculation. Just now everyone says that every time it comes out, they're like, oh, well, now Bono Black and Chill is going to be viable. <laughs> yeah, so. that's that's true. You got you got that one nailed. But, uh, you know, there are people out there just hoping, you know, and I'm not even a guy... I'm not even a guy who's ever played Mono Black Control, but I've tried assembling cards for like a Mono Black deck recently, so I'd like to see it succeed, but uh, you never know. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad card. It's a fine card. It's a great card. Uh, you know, but I just I rank two others in ahead of it, and then I'll give those reasons why in a few. Yeah, but uh, you know, I do agree that it's it's not as good as Mutilate. It's not as good as Damnation. It is basically. You know, at the same cost, minus two, minus two to all, uh, you know, well, minus two, minus two counters on all your creatures, or all creatures in play. So, it's it's not as good as either of those cards, but uh, I think it will, you know, end up being a very solid card. Any thoughts, Chris? Word. Word? Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, Next card for Chris... Steel Sabotage. Yeah, Steel Sabotage. This card, to me, is pretty sweet. It's one blue. It's an instant, and you get to choose one. Counter target artifact spell or return target artifact to its owner's hand. I mean, it doesn't sound amazing. It's definitely not a mythic rare that's going to crush anybody or change the, change the game, you know, right in your face. Well, we do this- know... It's going to be a solid uh, sideboard card. Yeah. And plus, I don't know, uh, I'm not real into the game right now with what's going on in standard and everything because I still have a bunch of old-ass cards, but I did do that booster draft with you, and I noticed there's a shitload of artifacts everywhere. Very observant because yes. that is correct. and. <laughs> You know, we, uh, back in the day would play a null, and that was just this, it cost one blue, and it was counter target artifact spell. And now you not only do you have that, but they also added in return target artifact to its center's hand. So yet again, Wizards decides that, um, an old spell wasn't appropriate for the current environment, or it has, you know, wasn't able to keep up with the way power creep has, has, uh, happened. So, um, they, they jacked up the spell and made it better. And uh, I think it's, you know, more than solid. It's going to be a definite sideboard card if uh, any artifact decks do start to get out of control in standard. Plus, it's a common, so it's only going to cost like a quarter if you buy it. Not even. It's going to be like a nickel. <laughs> yeah. It might actually see some type of play uh, in Vintage somewhere, because there are a lot of the blue uh, artifact decks, and there are a ton of artifact played in Vintage. I'm not really a Vintage player, but I do follow some of it, and some might do something. Uh, who knows? And uh, one thing you can do with it is you can return one of your own artifacts to your hand for one blue at instant speed. So if you're playing some kind of artifact deck that you need to bounce an artifact or something, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. No, that's true. I bet you, you probably, that's true, you probably have seen a null in some sideboards, uh, you know, against mud stacks and different vintage decks. Um, you know, you might, you might even see this card in Legacy to stop, uh, uh, Umezawa's GTA and Aether Vile. Um, so it's, it's gonna, you know, single-handedly replace a null in all formats. So, congratulations, Steel Sabotage. You, you're a decent card. <laughs> And now we'll move on to my next card, which I want to talk about, Sphere of the Suns, which is an artifact that costs two. Um, 
hold on, let me see what else it does here. I want to get everything right. Um, so yes, it's an uncommon. Uh, sphere of the Suns enters the battlefield tapped and with three charge counters on it. Uh, tapped to remove a charge counter from Sphere of the Suns, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So basically, as, at the same cost as uh, a ever-flowing chalice with one multi-kick on it, you're going to get a... Uh, you're going to get access to colored mana. Um, the only kicker is you can only use it three times, and it's going to come into play tapped. And even with those drawbacks, I've just seen a lot of speculation that this is going to, you know, it's going to be a auto include in a whole range of decks. Um, just because it's, you know, an artifact colorless mana, it can it can splash into anything. It's going to be uh, great in limited, and it. Um, you might even replace Everflowing Chalice. So, I mean, that, that remains to be seen. Um, you know, the coming into play tap thing, I think, is a big drawback on it. But I am excited to try it out. Um, it looks like a very solid card all around. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about this card because uh, the picture is a disco ball. Look at it. You'll see it. It is a disco ball. <laughs> it's a funky card. Yeah, it's like uh, it's got all sorts of colored plasma coming off of it. It's it's a tri- pretty trippy disco ball. But yeah, the artwork is on that is really cool. So check it out. Um, I'm looking at it on uh, mtgsalvation.com, which is a site I look like to look to for spoilers. Um, so yeah, check that card out for sure. Yep, I want to get some foil versions of it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> foil disco balls. That's cool. Um, so next card will be number two on Robert's list of the Zenith, and I think I have an idea of which this one is, but what's it going to be, the red or the green there, Robert? All right, here at number two, we have the red one, her red sun Zenith. It is one red and X. It is a sorcery, and it deals X damage to target creature or player. And if a creature dealt damage this way, it would be put into a graveyard this turn, exile it instead. Now, why I ranked it at number two is not for its constructive play, but its craziness in limited. This is an amazing card in limited. It's, it's a rare fireball. It's not quite a fireball, though. But it recurs, and in a 40-card deck, you know, you, you can are able to draw it again, and it can just do some crazy things in a limited environment, and I think it'll be really strong. Um, yeah, it, it really is a lot like Disintegrate in that it, it gets rid of the creature. Um, I don't know if Disintegrate only targeted creatures, or could you target players too? I think that was just creatures, so yeah, it's better than Fireball. It's, it's well, you can only target one thing, so maybe maybe it's not better than Fireball. You can, it, they each have their, their uh, advantages, but... Uh, I like it better than Fireball, and uh, yeah, definitely in a 40-card deck, it's going to be sick drawing this thing, you know, three times in a game, because uh, it's it's going to be a first pick all the way, and um, solid removal, solid reach at the end of a game, and great burn spell all around. Chris, any comments on this one? I like it. It seems, um, it seems really solid. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and, and to confirm, Disintegrate does deal damage to players as well. Oh, okay. You, you, you can you know, demo. Okay, cool. So, Disintegrate. Um, basically, Disintegrate that keeps going back into your deck after you use it. So, good deal. Um, so, let me see. Chris, would you like... Uh, the next card you want to talk about was Crush. What's up? Crush! All right, you, this you just song... Like, just like the na- you just like the name of this, don't you? Yeah. 
This okay. is a really cool song by R.E.M. They're talking about some soda. Orange Crush. Uh, is that what they were talking about in that song? I think. Oh, well, that's cool. <laughs> oh, wait, we're talking about magic. I forgot. This isn't a rock band podcast. All right. Okay. Crush. One red. Instant. Destroy target non-artifact creature. No, no, no. Non-creature artifact. You got it backwards. Non-creature artifact. Well, whatever. <laughs> so fucking awesome. Oh, I would love to see a red, like, destroy target creature spell. But, uh, okay, so it is, it is destroy target non-creature artifact. I don't know, I, I, you know, you got shatter. There are a lot of artifact creatures in these sets though, but you know, there's a lot of non-artifact too, so I, you know, shatter's still gonna be the choice for a red if, if artifact be, artifacts become crazy, but in limited, it's a good pick, I think. It, it's still, uh, you know, it's not, you know, you can probably pick it up towards the end of drafts, it's gonna be a good sideboard card. Hey, who knows, maybe even a good, uh, you know, main deck card. Robert, any opinions on this one? I'm just trying to figure out what exactly he's crushing in this picture. It looks maybe like a little thopter or something. Poor little thing. He's just, uh, it looks like a ball sack. <laughs> Rexian ball sack. It's best yes. possible. But clearly from looking at that guy's hand, he is not a player. He just crushes a lot. <laughs> oh, pretty Was much. That funny? I'm not sure. <laughs> if if yeah. you know the song, it's pretty good. Maybe <laughs> maybe I should make that our outro. We'll see. Yeah, so there you go. Crush. Um, next card I wanted to talk about. It's kind of crazy, and I can't even really figure out how it's going to be used. But it uh, seems fun. Um, it is called Spine of Ish Sa. Uh, it costs seven. It's an artifact. When the Spine of Ish Sa enters the battlefield, destroy target permanent. When Spine of Ish Sa is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, return Spine of Ish Sa to its owner's hand. So basically, if you have seven mana, you can destroy target permanent. If you have some way of destroying, sacrificing permanents uh, in your own deck then you can pay seven to, you know, destroy a permanent every turn. It just seems weird to me because I'm not, I was kept trying to think of what a good way to get this thing going would be, but I couldn't really come up with it. I mean, Horde Smelter Dragon destroys artifacts. That would be pretty good, but it just seems clunky. This thing costs seven. What what were they thinking when they made this card is why I'm so intrigued by it. And it makes me think there's going to be some interesting sack effects they, that are still yet to be spoiled. I, I believe this is another Mark Rosewater thing because I apparently listen to him all the time. Who knows? But he said that the, he wanted to pack a bunch of uh, sacrifice artifact things into the first set, but some of them got pushed back to the second set. And there are other things that do like similar things that when they come into play they do something. Yeah. Do I saw something. the one that draws cards too. Yeah, uh, Acre Wellspring. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, people so, can talk about time sieve with those cards and you put them in, you're sacrificing them to time sieve to take your extra turns and you're drawing draw cards, cards destroying destroy. stuff and right. just it, they seem cool. I mean maybe furnace celebration will have something I don't know. They seem fine. 
well, I'm I'm just interested to see. I, I'm sure there are going to be some of their cards spoiled that make these cards seem a lot better all of a sudden. But right now, it's just a huge mystery. <laughs> but it's it intrigues me because it seems like it could be pretty fun to be destroying, you know, vindicating something every turn, even if it does cost seven mana. It'll it'll be fun to try. Um, all right, so Robert, tell us. Uh, obviously, the green zenith is your your favorite zenith. What's up? Yep, uh, I like the same a lot. It is one green and X. This is sorcery. You search your library for a green creature card with converted mana cost X or less and put it in, into the battlefield and then shuffle your library. And then you shuffle it into your library as well. I don't know why they worded it that way. Since you're basically shuffling twice, doesn't, doesn't matter. Anyhow, um, I really like this card. It can search up things. It's, it's Titan 5 through 8. Like, if you're playing a ramp deck and you're searching Primeval Titans, you play four of these and you're like, paying one extra mana for your Titans is fine in your deck. You're, you're fine with that. You know, it, it also gives access to all kinds of other things. If you're playing, like, an extended elf deck or something like that, you need to search for Regal Force. There's a way to search. Um, in standard elves, you're, you can pay one extra to search for a Zeri or an Archdruid. It has a, a ton of applications, and I think it'll be a strong card. Uh, yeah, when I first saw this card spoiled on Twitter, it was Evan Irwin saying, this card says, uh, pay one green and X, search your library for a card with, with uh, converted mana cost X, and put it into play, and my response to him was, bogan can't be true and then of course he came back with oh sorry it's a it's a it's a dude it's a guy so uh you know it, it the my response to that was uh it's it's amazing how they all of a sudden turned uh filled standard with eight survival effects you got fauna shaman and this guy and uh it's it's pretty good altogether um i mean it basically is a survival effect you're paying one green to get a guy and it's casting costs in order to put it into play but you're doing it all at once with one card it's uh it's pretty crazy it's going to be yeah i agree it's hands down the best zenith it's going to see a ton of play and it's going to be a chase rare it's watch this thing turn into a card that's worth a lot of money my prediction. <laughs> yep. Now it is in the mythic rare, so the Zenith will probably be out there a good bit, but yeah, uh, Chase it's Myth- still going to be up there. It's going to be like you know maybe five to ten bucks around there. That's where probably where it will float, uh, unless it turns out to be terrible and the format does not accept it into there at all. Like no, this fits I, I, I fits right into a bunch of green yeah. decks. I don't, I don't see how it it won't be able to. Uh, do anything great, but I actually see this this card being worth more than Fauna Shaman, and I I could definitely see it being fifteen bucks or higher, but I could be crazy. Sure. Could be yeah, crazy. It's a little crazy. I don't know if it'll exceed ten bucks. Maybe start out when people were still chasing after him, trying to get cards together for their PTQ or whatever they're doing. I don't know. Friday Magic, whatever. It'll slowly decline. It'll stay within the 5 to 10 range. But it is a very good card, and that is the number one Zenith. Yep. So, yeah, solid rare. Uh, Chris, um, I mean, any older decks you could see this being a good card in? I mean, probably. It's a a tutor, right? Uh, It's a badass tutor. I mean... Because the tutors just throw it on top of your deck, and this one's out in play, so I can't think of any right off the top of my head that I would play because I 
still really like green, but well, it just fits into so many like um, there's so many combo decks. Every yeah, it's just like what creature do you want? Any okay. any creature based combo deck, this card is gonna be sick in. Yeah. Totally. Oh, show. Pick a creature, any creature. <laughs> One green mana. This is green. Yeah. It has to be a green creature. Yeah, that's true. But there's a lot of green creatures for combo pieces, so I think it'll be quite cool. Um, yep. And, well, so that's all the Zeniths. Good job on that, Robert. Uh, Chris, what do you think of Go for the Throat? Go you, for the Throat. You just keep picking cards based on the title. That you, I can tell you love these. Yeah, the titles are really awesome. I mean, I give them two thumbs up on titles. Go for the Throat. It's sort of like a Doom Blade, sort of like a Terror, but not quite. It's one and one black instant destroy target non artifact creature. So as oh. long as it's not an artifact, it's dead. So you that's can even the non black creatures. Non artifact creature or non creature artifact or wait, I got it. You're messing me up, Chris. God damn it! <laughs> All right, I th- I know what you're talking about though. Yeah, definitely is. I don't know. It, it's it's crazy. Is is our blue white control decks gonna? Pl- I mean, uh, blue black control decks gonna play this and Doomblade, or, or are they gonna split it two two? Or is it basically the metagame's gonna define it? Or are we gonna see like six of these cards in? Or are they gonna go for the full eight? It's so hard to figure out what the perfect number is. But they're both so effective, so efficient creature kill. Totally. In- what sucks sorted for me is it's uncommon. I mean, so that's gonna make it like a dollar. Yeah, I know we we like to spend like pennies on our uh, on our cards, but uh, it's definitely a solid solid removal spell and a gonna be a very high pick in every draft and in, in you know every draft pack that goes around the table. Uh, Robert, any any comments on go for the throat? Removal is awesome and limited. That's all I have to say, really. Um, and it'll probably be, it'll probably really replace Smother and Dex and such like that. Uh, because there are not a lot of non-artifact creatures that are being seen a lot of play, yeah. but maybe in the future with some of the new stuff coming out, people will be playing more artifacts, so it may not be a great decision based on the metagame, but yeah. we'll have to see as time goes along. Well, guess what? Now you, you run a mono black deck with four of these and four, or it doesn't even have to, any deck with black. You run four of these and four Doom Blades. If they play an artifact creature, use a Doom Blade. If they play a black creature, use a Go for the Throat. It's not really that hard to figure out. So, I mean, you got all your bases covered, and anything that's just any other color is totally fucked. So there you go. Fun stuff. <clears throat> uh, next is Hellkite Igniter, my last card I want to talk about here. And, uh, I don't want to talk about it because it's like a great card, but let's, let's go over it first here. Um, it costs two red and five. It's a dragon. So I know a lot of people out there like dragons, and here's a rare dragon for you. It's a five five, as many dragons are. It has flying and haste, so that's haste is pretty good. And you pay one red and one. Hellkite Igniter gets plus X plus zero until end of turn, where X is the number of artifacts you control. So, I mean, it's got this, you know, double fire breathing, except it's dependent on the number of artifacts you control. So you got a lot of artifacts in play. This guy's going to get friggin' huge. So, I mean, how many times have we seen this card before, though? I mean, I've seen a million other other dragons just like it. I mean, could you guys agree with that? It's very similar to a lot of other dragons. 
Yeah. But yeah, I mean, seeing the high mana cost, you know, X flyer, you know, with fire breathing. Yeah, I, I just keep thinking Shiv and Dragon every time I see it. Yeah, it is. And, well, it seems like an okay card. It's a bomb and limited, but uh, in constructed, not at all. Yeah, I mean, we see these these dragons all the time, and they never see play in standard uh, or, you know, any format other than limited, even though, yes, they're always good in limited. There is the casual player that loves his dragons. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not so much a, like, played card. I mean, it will see play in casual, at the kitchen table. You'll, it'll see play in your red uh, commander decks. It's just a card that's going to go by the wayside in standard, which is too bad. It's it's a good card to trade to uh, the jobbers at the store, though, because, you know, the, the kids who are, are not so serious into, like, tournament-level play are going to love to trade for it. So hold on to your Hellkiteniters and just throw them, leave them in your binder, because somebody's going to want, want one. But, yeah, overall, it is just like every other dragon I've ever seen. And uh, this is kind of an example of what, uh, I guess, Rosewater was talking about, where to power down the um, power creep a little bit, uh, they're gonna have to make flashy cards that are not actually that powerful. And this card is kind of flashy. It makes it has the flavor of the set and everything in mind, um, but it's clearly not all that powerful altogether. So there you have it. You you guys that love your dragons, there's one for you. They they delivered. Still can't be the Bane Slayer though. Um yes, but they all died a Doomblade. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. So uh there, that's I think that's all the spoilers we're gonna talk about. Um maybe do one last check here to see if there's any new uh new spoilers that have come out, but it doesn't look like any right at the moment. We'll update you guys if we see any. Um but we'll just move into the rest of the news area. Um Yeah, they actually re added the uh Wasteless Zenith, so it it is what we said it was before the X two two uh cat creature tokens. So yeah, it is the word Zenith. Okay, so and it's three it's three white necks. They didn't lower it to like two white necks or anything. Nope, it's junk. Don't it would be bother. it would be so much better with that two white necks. Okay, so there you have it. MTG Tactics was released about two days ago, I guess three days ago, um, whenever this podcast goes up. Uh, did you guys have a chance to try it out yet? I've not downloaded it yet. Yeah, well, it's a free download, so um, you know we should try it out, and maybe next show we can get back to everyone about uh, what we think of it, even though I'm sure everyone uh, will already you know, have tried it out. But um, go to magicthegatheringtactics.com. You can also find a link to it on the Mothership site. Um, and that will, you know, it's a free download. Try it out. Why the hell not? <laughs> Become a planeswalker. Um, all right. And wanted to talk about, um, well, it's not really news. I just need suggestions. I got one week of vacation to take in the near future. Um, I guess I'm going to take it in March. And I could take it and go to two Star City Games open events two weekends in a row which would be Edison, New Jersey the first weekend, and then Memphis, Tennessee the next weekend. Or I could wait till a couple of weeks later in the month and go to um, two uh, PTQs in a row on, on Saturdays, I guess, uh, the first one being in Pittsburgh and the one after that being in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and I would like the, the listeners to tell me which one they think I should take. You know, obviously there's going to be more events played if I stay two days at the Star City Games Opens and stuff, but, you know, have a chance to get on the Pro Tour if I 
were to, you know, do, you know, win APTQ, uh, which I believe I can do just because I believe in myself, even though you know, it's probably not too, too likely. But uh, I don't know. What do you guys think I ought to do? Depends on what you're trying to do. Um, if you're looking to make money, the opens are probably a better source of revenue than the PTQs will ever be. Um, I hate money. The, no, no. Well, if you hate <laughs> money, then you go to the PTQs and spend money and get demolished or something. No, the like correct that. answer to my statement was, can I have some money? <laughs> Maybe I would give it to you if you hate it so much. Yeah. Well, I personally think that um, Pennsylvania and Ohio both suck. Thanks <laughs> to the oh, viewers. You can see the hate mail coming already. Yeah. Man. If you live there, I'm sorry, but it's not your fault. Sorry, you live in a shit state. Yes, it, indeed. So I would definitely. I was saying that for Chris. Direct all your hate mail to Bunsenator at hotmail.com. Was it oh, hotmail? No, no. Gmail. Gmail. Gmail.com. <laughs> Alright, continue, Chris. And, uh, yeah. The other ones sound a lot more exciting. PTQ. To oh, me, I mean, like, it does sound really exciting to go to Edison, New Jersey. Well, you know, New Jersey sucks too. But, but, uh, <laughs> but I have never been to Memphis, Tennessee. It's the place I'd actually like to come. Memphis is pretty fucking awesome. All right, so uh, there. they got good ribs. Uh, the the Bunsenator supports you, Tennessee, or Memphis specifically. Well, I for one am already writing my hate mail to him right now. All right, <laughs> I typed up. Uh, we can read it on the next show. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, yeah, h- help me out, uh, listeners. Let me see other news. Um, well, I think Robert pointed out to me the other day that uh, he was listening to a Mark Rosewater interview, and he had a list. Uh, Mark Rosewater would just started spouting off future set code names uh, back to back to back. And, uh, I mean, that might have been the first time we've heard of several of these. Um, do you still have that list of them, Robert? Oh, I haven't memorized. Oh, t- tell us. Do tell us. Tell us a little a little uh, more slowly, because he really was just zinging them off left and right. Yeah, and like I said earlier, apparently I listened to way too many things he says. <laughs> Evan and I went to this interview with him, and he started listening off... Uh, you know, code names for sets, and it, it really like intrigued me. Like he started off with uh, lights, camera, action, which is the current set, the uh, the mirrored and or scars and mirrored and block. Mm-hmm. With lights being scars and mirrored and you know, camera being this one, etc. And he he went through like four or five different sets, and it really intrigued me. That I started like speculating, what could they possibly be? Uh, I believe there was one that was hook, line, and sinker. Um. There's, what, Friends, Romans, and Countrymen is one of them. <laughs> That'll be the all-Latin uh, set. <laughs> Maybe it'll be something like crazy like Portal. <laughs> it could be. All the cards will only you know, be done by people, and I don't know, who cares? It's crazy. But yeah, I, I like speculating on these, and I've been trying to think of what these sets could possibly be. And uh, it's pretty crazy, and you know, maybe you should uh, check out that interview, because he gives out a lot of offers some information. Yeah, I, th- I believe one was Ollie Ollie and Oxenfree. That's that's the just silly. Crazy. Like, yeah. It's so funny and, and I don't even I don't even know that the code names necessarily have anything to do. Yeah, they they probably with don't. The sets. But it's it's interesting. I mean, it's a little arcana for you there. 
yeah, it's just nice to know that they're designing magic sets six years into the future. Like, they already have, like, magic sets three years into the future already, like, almost completed. Yeah. So. We know they have the Future Future League, but they got the Future 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 League. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So, that's cool. Um, they're even, you know, um, those guys are crazy with thinking up mechanics and just trying to create entire sets around it in their head, and it's it's... It's just amazing what they do as far as coming up with new ideas to keep the game fresh. I definitely appreciate it. All right, so I wanted to mention um, uh, on last week's show, I was complaining about how stale I thought Extended was getting as far as the deck diversity and everything like that. Um, a couple days after I mentioned that, and this could be com- com- be complete coincidence, but Gavin Verhey wrote an article um, in which he said that he had heard a lot of complaining recently about how stale Extended was getting as far as the deck diversity. And he went ahead and just spouted off 40 different Extended deck lists. He wanted to try to prove a point that you can make 40 solid decks um, with a lot of different diversity and stuff. So check out the uh, article. I believe it was on Star City Games. That's who he writes for, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so check it out. And you could just search up his name, Gavin Verhey. That's uh, V-E-R-H-E-Y, I believe. And uh, check it out. Um, but I looked through the article, and I do appreciate what he's trying to do, but I looked at it, and I looked through the decks, and I was like, very few of these are going to be capable of competing in the current extended metagame. I don't think most of them hold a torch to, the, you know, the fairies, the control decks, the jund, you know, the basics, the basic decks. You know, there's four or five decks that are the tier one decks, and other decks don't really even stand much of a chance. Um, and just looking at the decks that he was coming up with, you, you know, you saw, saw a lot of the same cards used repeatedly, and I didn't think that many of the decks were really that competitive. So it was nice to try to prove a point in that there can be diversity in, in the format, which clearly there can be more diversity uh, if there's more a larger card pool, but that doesn't change the fact that there's, you know, the reason that Extended has less diversity in the decks is because each standard environment has maybe two or three tier one decks, and, you know, whenever you get double standard, you take those two or three from each of the standard blocks, put them together, and no other decks really have a chance. The, it, it, you'll see more diversity in standard because you have maybe your, you know, your two or three, and then a lot of other people are not going to go with them. They're going to go more of a rogue way, or they're going to play the tier two decks. The tier two decks have a much better chance of getting through the gauntlet whenever they only have to go up against two or three tier one decks, whereas in extended, you have five or six tier one decks that you just can't get through that gauntlet because of the diversity of the the more powerful decks um does that sound logical to you robert or are you still holding sticking to your stance that um it's it's more diverse i think you're just whining (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a healthy format i like it you know but you know that's just me uh i mean there are less cards there are less things to work with but i don't think there is a uh, little bit of room for innovation there. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, well, screw you, Robert. Well, I agree with you, Jones. <laughs> you you agree with who? You, Jones. Oh man, thanks for having my back. Well, yeah, because I remember when Extended was a little larger. For sure. There was a lot more. I mean, a lot a lot more cards you could pick from, and from I don't play Extended now. 
but if I did, I'd be a little more upset because we only got two blocks to play with and everything. That just seems that already seems stale to me. We already got standard where you know, what what the fuck ever. You know what I'm saying? Four blocks. Well, you got two. Yeah, whatever. Twice as much. Twice as much. Twice as many. Whereas you could have, you know, four times as many as standard, which I guess is what extended was kind of like before. Yeah. Well, you know, I was right on the uh, green black sword, so I'm just gonna say I'm right here. So. We'll All right. Well, we'll we'll see if the uh, listeners have any uh, speculation on this. We'll keep this conversation sure. going. See see who the winner is based on what the people think. <laughs> the people. Yes, the people. We're communists. Okay. <laughs> They don't matter. What are you talking about? What the fuck, Robert? But <laughs> I did want to uh, talk about some uh, results that we've had recently as far as uh, legacy tournaments and even some standard tournaments. Um, let me see. We had Star City Games San Jose where the uh, results came down to uh, Goblins being played and um, what was the other deck? Countertop. Pretty good, uh, two great decks, and you know they're both two of the premier decks in the format. Two tier one decks. Um, one was being piloted by Jerry T, who, as uh, a lot of people out there know, is one of the the premier players in the uh, Magic community. But uh, Goblins actually took it for the second uh, weekend in a row. Goblins took the legacy portion of the Star City Games Open. Um, So clearly, I mean, it's the deck to beat. It is beatable. There there were some, you know, other... There's another Goblins deck in the top eight, but you had the usual suspects. You had uh, Countertop. You had Merfolk. um, Plenty of that. You had some Elves decks. But, you know, you, you saw a whole bunch of different decks in the top 16. I mean, there were multiples of those decks I just mentioned, but you had... Uh, some completely other decks, builds that people hadn't really uh, played before. So I'm sticking to, uh, it definitely was a good call to get rid of Survival because you, you we're seeing a healthy format there. And I also wanted to cover um, some of the PTQ results we've seen. Well, actually, um, I see a TCGplayer.com uh, TCQ, as they call them, in Brooklyn, uh, New York. That was on the 15th. And I see in the top eight was a friggin' mono blue Grand Architect deck, which is a deck we talked about here before, but they didn't, it wasn't the same kind of build, but I've, I've totally wanted to abuse, uh, Grand Architect ever since I've seen it. And this guy actually pulled it off. So kudos to Michael Pastilnik. Hell of a job building your deck. And then you see a couple Boris decks in the top eight there. Boris is definitely making a real strong showing recently so if you're an aggro player seems like boros is a good way to go um in the top two you got your valakut ramp and your blue white control two of the tier one decks there right now um robert you said you've been looking at some ptq results what what other decks have you seen that uh, you know have impressed you recently a lot of the more aggressive strategies have been working lately they're kind of feasting on the control decks that are floating around um the format will probably cycle a little bit, and then the control decks will kind of cycle out. More people play like a mid-range strategy that beats the quicker strategies, and it'll continue the cycle there. But right now, the aggressive decks are just feasting on the real slow control decks. So it seems like a good time to play an aggressive strategy. All right, cool. Well, you do see um, plenty of 
you know, it is extended season, so you uh, go check out the extended list if you want to, but I already told you, you're just going to see the same decks over and over again, so what's the point? <laughs> uh, anyway, if you guys want to talk about extended, just let us know. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get into it a little bit more. And, of course, Chris and Robert, feel free to talk about extended as much as you would like. But let's move on to the new deck of the week. Uh, new, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll let Robert go first this week with the new deck of the week. Uh, Robert, do you have anything for us? Um, well, the only deck that I've really been working on lately is the Naya deck I talked about last week. But I was looking at the, uh, one Star City Games Open. There was a uh, Genesis Wave deck there that uh, Colony Woods piloted to a second place finish. Uh, it seems like a really fun deck to play. Uh, it takes more like a land disruption strategy. Uh, where you're like Genesis waving into like spreading seas and slime and stuff Acidic like that. Acidic slime. Yeah. And you're just, you're, you're throwing them off their colors, you're throwing them off mana, and it seems like a really good deck. You're throwing down Titans. So if you're looking to try to win Friday Night Magic, you know, that might be a deck to go with. So it, it is a little one, the expensive side because of the cards that it plays, but it is still a, quite a good deck. Yeah. I mean, you got your Lotus Cobras, Primeval Titans, four copies of Jace the Mind Sculptor. It's pricey, but you know if you it have the cards, if you have the cards, or you can borrow them or something, it's definitely a solid deck. The Genesis Wave is a cool card. I, I've even seen, I've heard a, of a mono green um, Genesis Genesis Wave deck in which it was basically four Genesis Wave Oral Drowsy Monument. I think I might have talked about this on the show already, but every other creature in the deck produced was a mana producer. So um, you know, try that out if you want maybe more of a a cheaper build for that deck. Um, go the mono green route and just put a whole bunch of mana producers in there. Put uh, Eldrazi Monument and Genesis Wave and see what that gets you. Because uh, I heard, I think Patrick Chapin mentioned that he he saw a deck that ran like that and it was throwing up some pretty good results. So that would be something to catch people off guard with. Uh, I think Genesis Wave hasn't been explored to its fullest potential yet. So that may be something people want to start playing with. Uh, I I, I play online a good bit, and I've been playing them a mono green elf deck, and uh, I threw a few Genesis Wraiths in there just to try it. Um, and you know, plopping out a few Arch Druids, generating a good amount of mana. Like, uh, like turn four or five, I generated like a Genesis Wave for like fifteen, and just just <laughs> elves across. That's the sick. And like I attacked like all my creatures, like I was you know stacking the copper on triggers and the archdruid and pumping all this man into the Zuri, and I was attacking like two hundred, two hundreds, and it was just it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, that that it, is it does broken things when it that does. is crazy. So uh, yeah, try it out. Uh, try explore Genesis Wave. The opportunities are boundless. Um, so let's move on to old deck of the week. Uh, Chris, you got any old brews that you would like to discuss this week? All right. I would like to talk about my old blue-black discard deck. I ran um, Magrum, of course, which hopefully you guys know. I also ran Warp Devotion, which is <clears throat> an artifact. Enchantment. Enchantment. <laughs> These artifacts are fucking me up today. Enchantment 2 in 1 black. Whenever a permanent is returned to a player's hand, that player discards a card from his or her hand. Right. And I also like to run Mana Breach, which is a blue enchantment. So whenever you play a spell, you return a land you control to your hand. And then obviously have to discard a card and then get dealt 2 damage from Magrum. 
you know, so every spell you play, they have to basically discard a card from their hand, which may be, you know, and, and they also lose a land um, from play, and they get dealt two damage. So if you get that little combo going, that's nice. I imagine you had some other kind of bounce spells in that deck. Yeah, I, I like to run um, boomerangs, obviously, um, when summons are good. I think probably at the time I was running Capsize because it had um, buyback. Buyback. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you weren't just trying to kill them solely with Megram. What other? I mean, you probably had some other creatures in there. Any idea what you were running at the time? Well, I had an affinity for Spectres. Um, I loved Doomsday Spectre for some reason, which was a two and one blue and one black creature, a gating creature. So whenever it came into play, I had to return a black or blue creature to my hand from play. And but the good thing about Doomsday Spectre was whenever it dealt damage, I got to actually look at their hand and pick which card they discarded. And right. it was two, three flyers, so it got through a lot of the time. Yeah, um, before before Lightning Bolt was around. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't shock that thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> um and Abyssal Spectre is another good one. Probably at the time I was playing with Shadow creatures and something stupid like that. I worked on this black and blue deck I, three or four years. I tried and tried and tried. I could never get it to be quite, never quite did what I wanted it to do. But I never got discouraged, you know, building this deck. It was always a fun challenge for me, even if it was just a side challenge, because I love black and blue. And it, it, I think it taught me a lot of lessons with building decks. And um, what to play and what not to play. And Definitely. There's a lesson to be learned there. Yeah, if you come up with an idea for a deck, you know, and the first time you build a deck, it doesn't do very well. You definitely shouldn't just give up on it. You should keep trying. I mean, obviously, if you had an idea about a couple cards, there's probably something there, even if it's not great. Some amazing deck that's going to kill everybody. It might be fun to play. So, you know, give it a shot and trade and get some cards you want. The cards I ran, Duress, Coercion, I played, you know, those cards. If you're playing, like, Urza's Guilt, anything that was, like, blue and black that was, like, gold card. Yeah, anything like that. And, I mean, it wasn't a great deck, but when it worked well, it did work really, really well. And it was always fun to play if, you know, it's always fun to build a deck that, Goes against the grain of everyone else. Even if it gets, even if you get your ass kicked, people might be like, "Man, that guy was playing a weird deck." It might spark them to try to build a new deck. So, spark the innovation. I'm sure a lot of pros out there would uh, agree with that sentiment. Even though you know you're not playing a necessarily tournament level competitive tier one deck, uh, just the 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 inspiration created and, you know, the passion for the game involved in brewing decks on your own is, uh, you know, honorable for sure. Yeah. And it's fun. Hell yes. Uh, 
I challenge other people out there to check out the card Warp Devotion and see if you think you can build something around it because that is a pretty cool card that was I think was never really appreciated but could definitely be super fun in in a, a casual environment and uh, you know even especially like multiplayer games it could it could cause all sorts of craziness so check out that enchantment and uh, I mean as far as trying to build Chris's deck right now I'd recommend um, Liliana's is it Liliana's Caress. Yes, it is. It's just like Megrims. Yeah, it's, yeah. So it's it's Megrim except it costs one less. So you'll you know you get you'll have a whole bunch of uh, ways to deal them damage whenever you're forcing them to discard cards, and you're going to be uh, slowing them down considerably by bouncing their stuff with Warp Devotion. So it, you can eventually lock them out as long as you get the right the right cards going. Um, so try that out. It's definitely uh, it can be a fun deck. So good call on that one, Chris. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, future deck of the week would be next. We're gonna bring this segment back because I keep getting ideas. I don't know about you guys, but when I see these spoilers, I get some good deck ideas. Um, I wanted to bring up new Rebirth Red. Um, what improvements uh, can be brought to it? Obviously, we have the the Goblin. Um, what was that Goblin called? I forget what it was called. Goblin War Chief, or no, it wasn't War Chief, that's for sure. But the the two two that with Battlecry that we had just discussed, um, Goblin War Driver, that's what it was. He could be an inclusion in the deck, but whenever I came up with a deck list here, I wasn't he wasn't out yet, so um, I won't really go into the deck list. I just want to kind of highlight what the deck can do, um, just based on the inclusion of one new card, which is Signal Pest. Um, check out this opening hand. It might be a god hand, but this is the potential this deck has. Opening hand, two signal pest, two mox opal, one mountain, one memnite, one Koldotha rebirth. That's seven cards in your hand. Um, turn one, play your mountain, then play your mox, then play your memnite. So you haven't spent any mana yet. Um, tap your mountain, play a signal pest. You now have metalcraft. Tap your Mox for one red mana. Play Koldotha Rebirth. Uh, sacrifice your Mox to it. So you now have three 1-1s, uh, Goblets, and a Signal Pest in play. Play your second... Oh, and a Memnite. Play your second Mox. So now you can tap that one for one red mana. Tap that to play your second Signal Pest. Okay, so you played every single card in your hand on the first turn. Second turn, top deck, Goblin Bushwhacker... Play it for your two two mana you have available, and you're attacking for 24 damage on the second turn. And of course, that's a that's a god hand, but that's you know that's the potential that this deck has. Even though you might not be dealing 24 damage, you could play some of those spells and maybe some other ones that it would be in the deck and deal a whole heck of a lot of damage very very quickly. And it's it's just seems like an awesome deck. Basically, you can kill them before they even have a chance to to kill anything of yours. They might have a pyroclasm in hand, and if you get that draw, they'll never even have a chance to play it to stop you. So uh, yeah, great uh, great potential in that deck. So um, I hope everyone appreciates the fact that uh, a deck has a second turn kill in standard um, come Mirren and Besiege released. Uh, how does that sound to you guys? Sounds pretty powerful, yeah. Given that you get the uh, a good hand, you play mulligan pretty aggressively. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, just try to get some good cards. I think Signal Pest is going to be amazing in that deck. And uh, the, the version I have right now runs four, four, four Kaldotha Rebirth and four Devastating Summons just for the sake of getting a whole bunch of tokens in there. And I'm not talking about using Devastating Summons to sack three of your lands to create two three threes. I'm just talking about playing it for one, sack it, you'll get two one ones, and you'll still have lands left over, hopefully. Um, just trying to... F- Filled up the board with as many one ones as you can. Let your signal pests, your goblin bushwhackers, and possibly your goblin war drivers do the rest. Uh, so I'm sitting here trying to wrap my head around this new spoiler that just came out. Oh God, what do we got now? You should you should take a look at it and talk about this one while I'm trying to wrap my head around. Oh, this, this I see it. Is, it. It can it looks it looks fun to play. All right, what do we got it's now? Some pretty complicated things. Well, we have a Gore Vassal here. It's a 2-mana and 1-white. It's a 2-1 Creature Hound. It's an uncommon. You can sacrifice it and put a negative 1, negative 1, one target creature. And if that creature's toughness is 1 or greater, you can regenerate it. If that creature's so, toughness is... So you can use him to regenerate your own guy, but he's going to get minus 1, minus 1 smaller. Yeah, so he's basically a 3-mana 2-1. So he's not quite a bear, but he, I mean he's still he's a body, but he can act as removal on their one toughness guys, or he can save one of your fatties, you know, by putting a negative one negative one counter on it. And like he seems like he would be an okay card. And, yeah, and limited fireman, of course. It's a it's a pretty neat combat trick, yeah. And limited, he'll he'll be he'll be decent. He can probably really mess up some, you know, calculations for your opponent when you're attacking. So he's pretty cool. Yes, indeed. And I actually got another uh, spoiled card right here. Oh, and look out, Razorfield Rhino. You got another uh, guy uh, giving you a run for the money in in the six-drop artifact slot. Here comes Frexian Juggernaut. Uh, It's a 5-5 Infector. And it's a juggernaut, so it attacks each turn of Fable, and it's uncommon. So there you go. <laughs> uh, he's he's right on par with uh, the the Razorfield Rhino, I think. Except uh, the, no. I think five no. power five powered infect is serious. Definitely, it's something that is uh, tough to deal with, and uh, can kill you in two turns. So yeah, I'd say he definitely get, gets the edge over the uh, Razorfield Rhino. <laughs> I think you're lying. Nothing can be better than the Razorfield Rhino. That oh, was amazing. I know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm windmilling that thing first pick every time. I'm losing all credibility for saying what I just said. You're right. I guess uh, keep your eyes out for any more spoilers, guys, but we'll move on to the next section here. The topic of the week, which is, this week is winning with Tier 2 decks. And maybe not even Tier 2 decks, but Tier 3 decks or whatever. Your your fun deck that you want to take to a tournament and try to have it compete with, you know, the decks, the net decks that everyone is playing. Um, there are some definitely some tips that we can give you guys um, if you're a newer player or, you know, you you're, you have a, you know, a deck that you don't necessarily think is going to be awesome, but you still want to try to play it at a tournament. Um, just important ideas um, on how to build your deck. Um, I know, Robert, you are big on being consistent with decks. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. How can somebody take their their casual deck and make it more consistent? You basically, you want to run a bunch of singletons or miser cards. You, you want a lot of four elves. I mean, you want a, a, 
a nice stable deck that constantly does what you want it to do. You don't want to sometimes do something amazing and then sometimes do something that's just nothing at all. You don't want to sit there and get wrecked. You want to actually do something every single game. That's something you got to really uh, go with. Like, um, one of the problems I had with the original Mindslaver builds was that it wasn't consistent enough. I, I loved that deck and I wanted to play it. And it, it just it couldn't get there a lot of the times. But, uh, you know, little tweaks here and there and found a ways to make it a little more consistent. And, you know, that's what makes a, a deck able to be competitive. For sure. So that's a good tip on, on making your, your deck consistent. I would also add that you want to avoid dead cards. Um, you know, there are a lot of cards that you think, oh, man, if if they're attacking me and I have this giant growth in my hand, then I can surprise them and make it make them bigger, make it bigger, you know, make my creature bigger and it'll take them, take their creature out. Or, you know, I can giant growth my creature after it attacks if it's unblocked and they, uh, uh, and to kill them off when they're at low life and they might not be expecting it. Well, that's nice and all, but the thing about giant growth is if you just got your board day of judgmented or, uh, you know, that new one that gives them a XX creature in play and you draw top deck, uh, a giant growth off the top, that is not going to help you at all. You just drew a dead card. It's not doing anything for you. It's not winning you the game. In fact, it's kind of losing you the game. So that's the kind of thing you want to think about if, this card I'm putting in my deck, every time I draw it, is it going to be something that's a threat to them? Is, is it going to be something that's going to hinder them? Or is it something that's going to be a situational card that I can only use in certain instances? Uh, Robert, anything to add about avoiding dead cards? Um, well, basically, there's also cards that you don't want that are basically a, a, a grizzly bear with an additional ability that doesn't always do something like you know, it's a 2 mana 2-2 two, two that comes in and destroys target artifact. Well, they won't always have an artifact. So a lot of the time he'll just be a grizzly bear. And kind of can avoid cards like that. Leave those to the sideboard. Yeah, so, you know, obviously not everybody has access to every card in standard, but uh, try to... Try to keep good effects. Try to keep good mana-costed creatures. Get good power and toughness for the mana, mana that you're investing in them. Hopefully, you can get basically more power and toughness than what the mana cost is. So three threes for two are good. Th- uh, four fours for three are good. Stuff like that. But you know, sometimes those cards have a drawback. So you know, be be wise when you choose that. Another thing to look at whenever you're building your deck, it's really important to look at your mana base. Um, you want to look at your mana curve. Um, every time I write a deck down on paper, I'll go ahead and write 1cc, 2cc, 3cc, 4cc. Add up how many uh, casting costs that is what the CC means. So how many go into the one drop slot? How many go into the two drop slot? If you have, if you're way overloaded on like the three drops, if you have say. 12 1 drops, 4 2 drops, 12 3 drops. That's probably not going to be the best mana curve. You cuz you want to be playing stuff effectively every single turn. Um and getting the most value out of those cards at, at those costs. So, uh, try to keep that in mind. Uh, try to keep a good curve. It's a you're going to want to start with a decent number of ones and have, you know, an equal number of maybe twos and threes. But as you get higher in casting costs, obviously you can drop off because you're not going to want to have a whole opening handful of three and higher casting costs. you got to have a good early game to really be competitive. Would you agree with that, Robert? 
Uh, yeah, you need to be maximizing usage of your mana or your resources every turn. Um, you know, even if you're playing like some kind of control deck, you, you still need to be able to maximize your resources with you know card draw at the end of their turn and certain mana costs and stuff like that. Uh, you just you really need to to manage your resources and you know make sure that you have something to do each turn. Yes, indeed. And uh, a solid land base is also important. So, um, you know, you might only have basic lands, but it's definitely worth it to invest in, in lands. And, you know, lands don't seem like the most powerful thing, but trust me, if you get enough, you need to, if you have like a two or three color deck, you really got to have the dual colored lands in order to, to have an effective deck. So um, make sure you, you invest in those, whether it's trading for, for you know, your your new um, Scars of Mirrodin lands that, um, you know, come into play tapped if you have three land, if you have more than three lands in play or whatever. Those are def- it's definitely a solid investment. Basic lands are going to leave you uh, stranded when it comes to having to cast, uh, you know, uh, two, you know, two different colors of spells or three different colors of spells in the same game. Eventually, you're going to get screwed out of one color and uh, lose games because of it. You never want that to happen. You know, someone once told me that the most important part of every deck is the mana base. You know, you need to have the proper um, ratio to, of lands to spells. You need to have the proper ratio of colors. You know, that's something that that is core to any good deck. Oh yes. Um, another way to raise the consistency of your deck and uh, you know win some more games is focus on trying to thin your deck out. And this isn't just saying, like, uh, that, you know, you ask anybody who knows how to play Magic and has been playing it for a decent amount of time, and they will tell you you have to play with a 60-card deck. You know, that's no-brainer. You play less cards, you get to the cards that are most effective more often. You get to them quicker. Um, so do that, but on top of that, there's there's other ways to thin your deck out that'll help you get to those cards even faster. Um, look for cantrips, any spell that says, you know, whenever um, you use this spell, draw a card. It'll replace itself. You'll get to get to stuff faster. But um, the fetch lands from Onslaught and the fetch lands from Zendikar that you sacrifice to, to go search for another land, um, you're, they're th- you're th- thinning your deck out whenever you use them each time. And that, you know, statistically is helping you, you know, making you less likely to draw another land, yes, but it's making you more likely to draw the the you, the spells that you put in your deck that you wanted to use to try to make your deck um, successful. Um, I found in in, um, in extended and and legacy right now a card that I love to use to try to thin my deck out. Basically, I'll run eight fetch lands and then four mana morphos as long as I'm playing red or green because that spell basically turns if you have eight fetch lands and that card in your deck, as long as you get to two mana, you basically are playing with a 48-card deck. Every time you draw it, you're just cycling it. It, it, turned, it turns your two mana, you tap for it, into two mana, and you draw a card. So um, that's, a, that's definitely a, a card I would recommend to try to thin your deck out. Um, of course, it can be countered, so you got to watch out for counter spells, because that way you'll just, if it's the second turn and you play it, you're still getting time-locked, because your, your spell's getting ca- uh, countered still. But most people might not even, you know, counter it. They might just say, well, I'll wait to see what you're going to play with it. So try it out. Try Manamorphos if you're playing an extended with red or green. Any other ways you can think of to thin your deck out, guys? 
Well, besides the fetch lands, there are some other uh, more budget options if you don't have, you know, the cards to trade for the fetch lands and stuff. Um, Terramorphic Expanse and Evolving Wilds, they're basically like a fetch land. They can fetch any basic land, but they just come into play tapped. And you also have to know when you want to thin your deck out and when it's you, you don't. You have to know when to use the fetch land to fetch a land. Like, if, if you're an, a land light hand and you have a fetch land and you don't need to crack it just then, wait till your next draw is tapped to you'll statistically have a, a better chance of drawing a land, and then you can go ahead and crack your land and go find your land. So you try to think that way also. Yeah, you, it, it is really is a minuscule advantage as far as the number of cards in your deck and the ratio of lands to, to non-land cards, but it does make a difference overall. So if you if you have a bunch of three casting cost stuff in your hand and you only have two lands, one of which is a fetch, Maybe you want to hold on to that fetch until you draw that third land, because if you play it and crack it right off, you're going to have a statistically lower chance of drawing the land that you need. Yep, um, proper fetch land usage is you know, something that's good when you're playing with it. You, know, you also, you know, if you're pondering, you're putting cards back on the top, or using Jace to brainstorm and stuff like that, you can actually use fetch lands to shuffle cards you don't want away and get different cards. So you also are able to use those in that fact too. Yes, indeedy. Um, so let me see. As uh, other ways to you know increase the uh, chances of your tier two deck winning. Just metagaming and sideboarding. Always important. I mean, we've talked about it before. Play, make a sideboard to, against what you expect to play. If people, uh, I know in a lot of areas you'll see a, just a whole lot of aggro decks. Look for board sweepers, um, you know, removal spells, things that'll slow them down. Um, blockers with high toughness, um, is also a good way to, to slow decks like that down. And if you're playing, um, you know, control decks, Look for, you know, sometimes aggro is, is what go, goes against a control deck. So try to build a super fast deck and, you know, the, they, you might overwhelm them before they have a chance of, of, uh, stabilizing. And I mean, we've talked about metagaming before, so don't, don't uh, make it too specific. Leave yourself, you know, ch- ways to compete against all sorts of different types of decks in your sideboard and in your main deck whenever you're metagaming. Yeah, definitely. Um, in when you're metagaming and stuff, or making a sideboard, you know, find the weakness of your deck. You, you have to know your deck in and out, and you will know what the weak points are of your deck. And your sideboard can help patch up those weaknesses for certain decks. So that's always good. You know, sometimes it's a good idea to, you know, to kind of scout out, see what other people are playing and stuff like that. You know, to try to get a feel for the other people. You know. There are people that come to our Friday Night Magic that, you know, always play aggro or always play control. You kind of know those people and you kind of get used to them, so you'll be able to better prepare yourself against them. There you go. And last but not least, uh, and on my list at least, as far as uh, winning with the Tier 2 deck, is something that's built into playing a road deck, which is the element of surprise. So, um... You know, playing cards that people aren't expecting can definitely win you the game. You'll hear pros all the time say, oh, he's playing this deck, um, and the reason I think I lost the match is because I, I just had not playtested against it, and I didn't know how to play against it. So, you know, even the most veteran players um, may not know how to handle playing uh, your rogue deck, and that's a reason to play a Tier 2 deck or a rogue deck. 
Um, you know, they probably went on onto Magic Online or play tested with their play group if they're a serious player, and they just keep play testing the the top tier one net decks against each other over and over and over again, and tweaking those decks to try to get the advantage. But uh, the the element of surprise it can be uh, definitely a nice way to win games. So those are my recommendations. Anyone have any other thoughts on how to win with a subpar deck? I think we pretty much covered everything. And I wouldn't necessarily say it's a subpar deck, because you can still fine-tune those decks to be winning machines. You know, well, yeah. really thought of as the, the best of the best of the best. Yeah, well, I think the the reason we're giving these tips is because there are some people out there who might not have been playing... Um, you know, as long, and they do have subpar decks, but hopefully with these tips, they can turn them into par decks. <laughs> so, or, you know, better than par, I guess. But I guess, actually, that's kind of a weird, uh, a weird saying, subpar, because isn't subpar where you want to be on a golf course? Below par? Yeah. Yeah, so that is kind of retarded. So oh. subpar deck would kick ass. Yeah, okay, so we want you to build subpar decks, is that right? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think that it's using that in the right sense. Of, who knows? No, we're right. No, no, dear. Decks, everyone. <laughs> Try your hardest to build subpar decks. Okay. We will rule you. <laughs> Just playing a bunch of basic lands. Yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah, boy. Um, quick check for new decks or new cards. No, nothing. I see anything yet. So, okay, we'll move on to listener email. Let me see. First listener email from Adam Lane. He's an Australian. He put that in there. He says, hi, guys. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all he wrote. So I appreciate the email. Thank you for the kind words. And uh, we're going to try to keep up the good work. And, you know, even a little email like that definitely lifts up your day. Because sometimes you're like, oh, man, nobody emailed me today. Uh, we must suck balls. But, uh Apparently, we don't always suck balls. Uh, let me see. <laughs> Next. Uh, oh, but Beck's is terrible beer. You mean Foster's? Whatever. Is is Beck's Australian? I don't. I think Beck's is like German. I don't know. I think you're thinking of Foster's. It's Australian. Foster's, beer. yeah. Yeah, I don't even think Australian people like Foster's that much. Maybe they just don't have m- much other option over there. Maybe they just drink wine. No, they definitely drink a lot of beer. <laughs> I, I know some Australian people, and uh, they they can they can hold their own when it comes to drinking. I mean, it is a land built on uh, you know convicts and and uh, criminals, so you know those guys love to get down. Yeah, I but, forgot about that. Yeah, so they they drink a lot of grog. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. Next is from Michael Lucas. He, number one from Michael, he says, when you're a, uh, oh, these are his, uh, magic pet peeves. Last show we asked, like, what were some of your pet peeves? And he said, uh, when your opponent starts rapidly playing cards, not giving you a chance to respond, then complaining when you, uh, want to actually do something during their turn. He says, this happens quite frequently at my Friday Night Magic, and uh, have he's actually had to argue that he was not allowed to counter a spell once because he didn't yell stop in time between his opponent throwing cards at him. So, uh, yeah, that's true. I haven't run into that too often, but that really would annoy the shit out of me. 
Yeah, that would make me really mad. <laughs> I actually had this in the side event of PTQ once where the guy was was going through the motions and like I was like, hold on, and he plays a different spell like right after that, and he's like, no, no, you can't respond to that because I'm playing a different spell now. I'm like, oh, you certainly can. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I can stop you right there. Yeah, yeah. newer players, if somebody ever tries that crap with you, call a judge because you do oh, have yeah, time to respond. Yeah. Punch him in the face. That's what you they should. Do. They should really. Yeah. Think. They should be asking you if the spell is good. Exactly. Before they throw the you, next one. You always need to acknowledge if a spell resolves or not. You always ask. You, you don't assume that anything resolves. And you, you don't assume. Just you wait for your opponent to acknowledge. Oh, show. All right. You should beg for your opponent. You you should make them beg for you not to punch them in the face. Okay. It it always it always comes back to that, doesn't it, Chris? Well, Robert brought it up. (laughs) Oh, okay. Damn you, Robert. It's it's on spirit of the game. (laughs) All right. Number uh, number two. uh, Constant nervous hand shuffling. He says, I don't mean the guys that draw a card and shuffle it into their hand before playing anything, but the guys that spend five minutes staring the board down and throw their cards around in their hand that entire time. He doesn't mind a little shuffling, and he even does it himself from time to time, but some people do it constantly, and that bugs him. Um, Robert, you are a, a pretty uh, prime offender of this this uh, pet peeve right here. Yes, I am. I, <laughs> I am, too. Think. It, is, it is distracting. I think you're trying to gain some sort of edge by doing that. If it puts people on tilt, it puts people on tilt. But like I said here, I have three sleeve cards in front of me right now that I sit here and when I think I sit here and I shuffle them in my hand and you know that's just how I do it and the cards I currently have as the three that I shuffle because they, they, they change depending on whatever I'm thinking about or something I have a cool spike I have a devoted druid and a makeshift mannequin those are the three cards that I currently have those are some solid cards but I'm sure uh, after Besiege comes out it'll just be three razor field rhinos Oh, yeah. Definitely. Actually, it, it's going to be two Razorfield Friends and one Disco Ball of Awesome. So, you know. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you, Michael, for those pet peeves. That's very, uh, those are definitely some good ones. I mean, that's stuff we probably should have thought of before. Very cool. What's up? Hand shuffling doesn't really bother me, considering I do it all the time. Like, it's just something that I do. Do, do. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Nice. Oh god. Oh, this, this totally threw me off there. But uh, like when people come up behind me, like if I'm like going over my hand and going over the board state, and like someone comes up behind me, starts launching from my back, maybe I'm paranoid, but I, st- I start shuffling my hand you know, at a fairly high rate, so they can't really see what I'm looking at, and I know it's in my hand, and I can just you know. Yeah. Pick- Glimpses. That's true. But, uh, yeah, like I, it just bothers me that they're, they're just like staring intently at my hand and they're behind me facing my opponent. It's, it's kind of unnerving sometimes. Stand to the side of the game. Don't stand behind people and like, you know, look over their shoulder like, hey, what are you doing? That just reminded me of another pet peeve, which actually, you know, is mine a little bit, but I, I learned it. I know it. There's another guy. Um, I used to play at a store called Lost Shade, and uh, there was a guy there. I think his name was Doug or Douglas, um, but he would get so pissed off when people would stand beside their game and, like, chime in while he was playing his opponent, and, like, they weren't really giving anything away, they were just, like, commenting on the board state, they'd come over and not know what was going on, and I'd see him get, like, upset with people, and I, even my, myself one time, 
uh, caught myself doing it to him because uh, I remember looking down, there was a Tattermunch mani- Maniac on the board, which has to attack every turn. Um, Douglas passed the turn. It was on his side. And I was like, wait, doesn't that Tattermunch have to attack? And he just looked at me like, what the hell are you talking about? He, was, he said, uh, I just played it as summoning sickness. I know what's going on in the game. Like, he stressed that. He was, he was basically like, shut up and get out of here. So, uh, and he was absolutely right. I didn't need to chime in like that. I should just mind my own business and kept my mouth shut. So, uh yeah, keep that in mind when you're at the store. Just try to lay back and watch the game unfold because you can even yeah. give some give some things away and mess a game up yeah. royally by m- making comments. Someone actually did that last Friday Night Magic. Um, I was playing an opponent. Uh, I was playing my Naya deck, and he was playing a blue-black control deck. And he comes up behind him, and he's, he, he just blatantly says that there's a Jace the Mind Sculpture in this guy's hand. <laughs> I really wasn't paying attention at the time. I, I did hear it, but I was just like, that, that was. Well, I guess you didn't blatantly say it was Jason Munchkin. He said, "Oh, you love to see shiny eyes, Jace, or something like that." He, he, he was like bright eyes or bright eyes, or Jace, or something. Which obviously, which is Jason Munchkin's basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew the guy just say, but he still beat me. He still got me. But yeah, like it. Don't do that. That's bad. <laughs> but there are there are points at like some competitive levels. Like if there's something going on in a game that you see as a bystander, like like an inconsistent board state or something like that, where they're missing something, or ask them to stop for a minute, call the judge over, explain to the judge what happened, and let the judge deal with it. You don't interject and you go crazy and tell people what they need to do. Like, if you see something like that, you stop, ask them to stop, call a judge over, and have them handle it. That's yep. what they're there, for. there you go. As long as you're, you know, you have a judge. At our store, we don't. We just kind of handle things on our end. <laughs> yep. In, in that case, I, I would, I would interject there. Yeah. You because. Know, I mean, you can get the store owner to come over and tell the guy to get away from yeah. the game. That's all it really takes. Well, I'm, I'm, I just mean like if there's like an inconsistent board state or something like that, where they're doing something like they're not attacking with a creature that has to attack every turn, then you should, you know, tell them, oh, oh, hey, you know, that does have to attack every turn. Just, you know, maybe they do know that, but maybe they, they're they missing it, and, you know, they need to be aware of that, the opponent needs to be aware of that. Sure, sure. But, you know, make sure of things, or, you know, let the judge handle it, if there is one. All right. Yeah. Next, uh, we had a response from uh, another guy named Robert, who uh, we featured his Infect deck and gave him some tips on our last podcast. He responded and said, hey, thanks for the tips on my deck. Um, well, that, that almost sounds dirty. Um, I'm going to be testing it, uh, soon against uh, a couple decks, including my ass of a friend who has a sliver deck, and we'll let you know what happens. Um, yeah, I don't know. Sliver decks are, can be pretty, uh, a big pain in the ass depending on what slivers they're playing. Um, let me see. My guess for the unknown card is, for the card contest, I guess, is BFM or Big Furry Monster. Um, and then, of course, he responded to that uh, about five minutes, his own comment about five minutes later and said, whoops, forgot the card wasn't an unglued. Uh, correct. So, <laughs> good try, though. Good try. on, on Wrong. The, I guess. But, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. Well, <laughs> we need to... Uh, Continue with with that voice. Keep using that for the wrong guesses here. All right, and uh, let me see. Our last email um, is from a gentleman named Will. 
Um, he said, stumbled upon your cast. Really like it. Uh, well, thank you, Will. Um, he gave us a number one. His number one says, regarding Enchantress, which is the deck, the old deck of the week from last week I presented, uh, he said, the green-white build is strong against the field, mostly because it doesn't run creatures that can be targeted. It works as a combo deck with control elements. By not running stuff that can be killed, you've effectively nullified some of your opponent's deck. You can protect yourself with strong cards like Moat, Solitary Confinement, etc., and go for the kill via Sigil of the Empty Throne, Words of War, or uh, maybe even hard-casting Emrakul. The deck is weak to combo, but otherwise a good choice for aggro metagames. If, uh, he says if you still want to roll with aggro Enchantress, Core Spirit Dancer and Ortog are both kill conditions. Um, I, I agree that uh, depending on the metagame, the green-white build can definitely be good. This is me talking, not him anymore. <laughs> I'm responding about Enchantress, but I think my mono green uh, build I presented last week is faster, more consistent in that you don't have to add other colors. And uh, and while I have used Ortog and like Ranker combo before, I just uh, I like the the, de- the deck list I put up, and I still would uh, int- uh, you know try to entice people to build it and see what they think of it because it's a shitload of fun. All right, back to Will, his number two he wrote here. Uh, some things that really piss him off about opponents, um, which is, you know, the pet peeve section. Uh, bad hygiene. I don't care if you are a fat, ugly nerd, uh, but you shouldn't smell bad. I see people come to tournaments with pit stains, dirty clothes, dandruff, and terrible breath. Have some goddamn self-respect. Or at least respect me by not mouth-breathing in my vicinity or grabbing my cards with your dirt-encrusted fingernail. Fuck these people. They make me feel embarrassed to play magic. You can wear your dorky anime internet meme shirts all you want as long as it's been washed recently. Uh... (laughs) Uh, that's that's a hell of a rant right there. Pretty good, <laughs> pretty good. Did did Chris rate that? Uh, it seemed like something he might have, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Chris, how, how's how's your hygiene these days? Well, it's a lot better than it used to be. Okay, good. Yeah, it used <laughs> to be you used to be kind of smelly yourself. So <laughs> glad <laughs> glad we got that taken care of. Uh, all right. Uh, he's he goes on to say another thing he hates um are rules lawyers. He says, I'm fine with people correcting others when it comes to game state, but it becomes something else when you are doing it for unfair leverage. At a recent Bluebell Vintage tournament, some Mud Stacks player was playing against Blue Control. It was game three, and Blue player had assembled Time Vault combo for the win. Stacks player knew he lost, but he called for a judge to loudly argue about how his opponent's proxies were invalid because they did not contain full rules text. The judge correctly slapped him down and said his opponent's proxies were fine, but it's bad sportsman shit like this. Uh, people need to lose and win graciously. From Will. So, uh, yep, I think everyone uh, hates rules lawyers except for maybe the rules lawyers themselves, and there are plenty of them out there. So, yeah, definitely a great email, Will. Thank you for sending that in. Look forward to hearing from you in the future. I noticed he did not put a card guess for the card contest. So let's go ahead and uh, mention that now about uh, the card contest. I am actually um, I'm at a crossroads when de- in deciding my what the prize, my donation for the prize is going to be. I'm thinking of either going with, like, one, I'm thinking of going with a Muta Vault, um, 
I'm definitely going with a foil Zendikar Island because that's a totally sweet land. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be giving that away, and it's either gonna be a Muta Vault or a uh, play set of Sun Titans, four Sun Titans. Um, I don't know if you guys have a if you guys out there in listener land have a preference, maybe um, try to sway me one way or the other. But uh, we'll see what what's uh, you come up with there. What do you guys think? What 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 do you think I should go with? It depends what people want. I already know what I'm going to throw in here. So. Oh, what are you going to throw in, Robert? Well, right now, we have a Grave Titan, and uh, I will be trying to trade for some more other uh, things. Um, depending on when the contest comes, maybe I'll throw in some Besiege stuff as well. And uh, just kind of give us some feedback on what you guys would like. But uh, right now, I already have a Grave uh, Titan in the stacks, so... Alright, so we're already starting to build up a, a, a little stack of cards that we're going to be giving to the winner of the contest. Uh, Chris, do you have any ideas as to something decent you could throw in? I don't, uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot. You can think about it. Get it, figure it out next time. We don't want you to com- commit to anything you're not comfortable with. Yeah. It, you I, know, I might, I have a planeswalker I might give away. I, I can't remember what his name was. Uh, okay. Well, that's cool. Figure it out. And if you're interested in contributing to the pot, um, but we'll go ahead and tell everyone since we're talking about it right now. Um, the clue for this week is that the card that we've been talking about, the card in my mind is really bad. <laughs> and when I say it's really bad, I'm saying it, pr- I can pretty confidently say it's never been played in a constructed deck. Ever, especially not one that's done any good. Maybe somebody stupid played it in a sideboard or something, but I doubt that they ever got anywhere with it. So um, there's there's another clue for you. So I mean, what do we what do we got so far? I guess I will recap clues for people, new listeners who haven't been listening. It's legacy legal card. It's a creature. It's really bad, uh, and it's not a trick card, you know, like when I say it's legacy legal, it's not unglued, and it's not plain chase, and it's not, you know, anything crazy like that. Um, Which is also not a token, because my last guest got shot down. Right, also not a token, so that that would be, I'm not trying to trick y'all, this is an actual card here. Um, so there you go. Um, good luck guessing, because you still don't have much information to go on, but uh, the pool, uh, we, we got a decent amount of cards here, and if you were able to guess it this week, I would give you, uh, you know what, if you were able to guess it this week, I would throw in Force on Titans and Mutavault. That's how confident I am that I don't think anyone's going to get it this week, so try it out next time. Um, oh yeah, I kind of skipped over something, but I'll talk about it real quick here. Um, Store of the week for this week um, is the store that I mentioned earlier on the show, Lost Shade in Harrisonburg, Virginia, home of uh, James Madison University. The city of Harrisonburg um, has a, a really decent card store, a uh, place to go play. Um, you know, Friday Night Magic. I think they're open most days of the week. You have to check uh, their website. They also have a Facebook page you can check out if you're rolling through Virginia near Harrisonburg and you want some place of magic. Go check it out. Um, there's a really nice couple that owns the store. I do not recall their name. I've played there several times, but uh, got a pretty healthy number of people to come in there every week. And, uh, you know, they got, they got your singles. They got, as far as type two stuff, they usually have a really nice selection of singles. 
that to choose from. You can roll up in there when a new set is released by, um, you know, you can get your set of four, four of every common, um, four of every uncommon. They got that kind of stuff set up. They're cracking boxes in there. And, uh, you know, whenever you win one of their tournaments, all their DCI, all their tournaments are DCI sanctioned. You will have a, a decent, a really decent amount of store credit that you can use in there. So, um, check them out. And if you're new to that area, you, you're a new college student listening at, at James Madison University and you play magic, go check it out. It's a really decent store and uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it a lot. So, yeah, that's Store of the Week, Lost Shade. I believe it's basically all one word, Lost Shade, in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Very cool. And uh, so that's pretty much all I got for this week. You guys got anything else you want to talk about? We're kind of running pretty long right now. I believe we covered everything, and there are no no spoilers. So I think that yeah, no it. more spoilers. So we got we got all the midnight releases. All right, great. Um, so we'll just do our peace outs now. Uh, Chris, what do you got? Keep it nerdy, yo. Word up. That's his call sign. And uh, what's up with you, Robert? Just play tight. Keep it cool. Yes, yes, Foshizi Manizi. All right, well, for everyone here at Magic in the Middle of Nowhere, this is Travesty Jones, and we will see y'alls on the flip-flop. Peace! I'm about to play out, crush a lot. I'm sure, still got what you're looking for.